Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our discipleship pastor, Adam Scott. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm excited that I get to introduce to you our Christmas offering this year. You just saw part of it. If you're new to Northridge, you probably don't know how we do this because it's a little bit different than you've probably seen in the past. But at the end of the year, most organizations are asking for a little extra money just so they can end the year in the black. That's the goal. We've got to turn a good, a bad situation from the rest of the year into a good situation by you giving a lot of money right now. And uh, what we've done is historically, we've made a bold, faith-filled decision to not do that ever. Um, In December, every single year, we put a cap on the amount of money we're going to bring in and use for normal operations in the church. Basically, we've looked at what does it cost to keep the lights on, the water running, the staff paid, all of that kind of stuff. That's our cap. And anything we bring in above and beyond that dollar amount in December, we're going to do something special with it. And this year we're doing two different things. One, we're going to do some upgrades and some basic maintenance on our lobby space that will allow us to to better serve the people that come in our doors. Uh, But the second thing we're going to do is we are going to bless the socks off the core foundation as they're working to minister to the people in Haiti. You just saw a video of some of the things that they're doing. We're going to be introducing you to more and more of that stuff throughout the month. But basically what they're doing is they're feeding children in Haiti. They're fighting against poverty in Haiti, and they're sharing the love of Jesus in Haiti. This is a great ministry and one that we are excited to be able to partner with. Um, We have promised them that we are going to bring in a lot of money because we want them to feel the impact of Northridge Christian Church and what Jesus wants to do through them. So let's go ahead and pray for that offering uh, that's going to start next week, and then we'll jump into the message today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that you just use people like us. God, we thank you that um, even with the people across the world in Haiti that are, are um, you know, needing some help, needing to see and experience your love in a tangible, practical way, we thank you for organizations like the Core Foundation and, and the fact that we can partner with them and, and help make your name famous in Haiti through them. God, I pray that the money we collect is money that you multiply. And I pray that the money that we give to them then multiplies again with the resources that they have available. And I pray that lives are changed because of what we're doing right here and right now throughout the month of December. God, I pray that you do something big, something incredible, something awesome, and move in a powerful way through this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it's officially the Christmas season now, right? We can all agree to that. Past couple weeks, we've been in a Christmas series that we're calling Fulfilled, um, but the problem is we started it before Thanksgiving, and that upset some people, okay? Because you're the kind of people that don't put Christmas lights up until after Thanksgiving. Now, we get it, but now we can all agree we're on the same page. We are in the Christmas season, and we're talking about this idea of being fulfilled because the Christmas story really is the story of a promise that was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Listen, though, there's a lot of Christmas stories out there, aren't there? I mean, there's Christmas stories about a fat man in a red suit. I bet you've probably heard some of those stories. There's Christmas stories about vacations and and protecting your home against intruders. 
There's Christmas stories about elves and about reindeers. There are even 847 stories on the Hallmark Channel about a career woman who is too busy for love but has to move to a small town where a handsome local bachelor teaches her about the true spirit of the holiday. There's a lot of you looking around like, I have seen that movie. You know exactly which one or 800 that I'm talking about, don't you? But listen, my favorite Christmas story Aside from the one with the baby and the manger, my favorite Christmas story is the one where Buddy the Elf has a close relationship with Santa, so much so that he can spot an imposter when it's standing in front of him. Y'all watch this video clip. What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Oh, uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> well, if you're Santa, what song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I oh, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? He's <laughs> kidding. You stink. I think you're gonna have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> He's a monster! He's a He's not Santa Claus. He's not Santa Claus. Listen, the reason I show you that is because sometimes it's difficult to, 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 to reveal who the imposter is and, and who the real thing is. It's sometimes hard to make that identification. And, and while that's a silly thing, it's comical when it's Will Ferrell in an elf costume with Santa in the mall. It's a very serious issue when it comes to Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, the God that we've come together to worship, he made this bold claim in John chapter 10, verse 30. He says, I and the Father are one. In other words, he says, I'm not just a good teacher. He says, I'm not just a role model. I'm not even just the founder of a movement. I am the Son of God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the Savior of the world. That's a bold claim. And it's important for you and I to, to spend some time discerning whether or not he's the real thing or whether or not he's just one of the many imposters who makes that claim. You see, even in re recent history, there's been several people that have made this same claim. There's a politician in Japan. You can look it up. There's a whole following for this guy. There's a taxi driver in Zambia, and there's a former police officer who's now living in the Siberian forest. All three of these individuals have made this exact same claim that Jesus made. The question that we're going to wrestle with today is, 
How can we say with certainty that the Jesus of Nazareth is the one that is the son of God, is the one he claimed to be? What makes him different than others? What sets him apart? How do we know that he is not an imposter? Here's my prayer. My my prayer is that every single person in this room would walk out of this room with more confidence in Jesus after the evidence that we're going to look at today, and that you would experience Christmas in a new way as a result of that. But even more than that, I'm also praying that there's somebody in this room that, that showed up with doubt and insecurity in their faith. They, they don't know that they really are ready to put all of their hope and trust in Jesus. And it's my prayer that through the conversation that we're going to have, the evidence we're going to look at, somebody might say for the very first time, I want to surrender my life to Jesus and trust him as the one and only Savior of the world. Let's start by looking at what Scripture says. If you look at the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the the gospel stories, the first four books of the New Testament. You flip through those four books, and you see this one word, this theme that that pops up over and over and over again. Well, because we want to beat the Methodists to lunch, we don't have time to walk all the way through those four books. But I want to take just the first four chapters of the very first book And let's see if we can pick up on the pattern of what's happening in the retelling of these gospel stories about Jesus. First one is in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, this is talking about Jesus coming into the world. It wasn't just a a random thing that happened. It happened to fulfill a promise that had been made centuries before. It goes on, Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, so he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. In other words, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that declared that this would happen, that Jesus would leave Egypt and be um, in another place that he called home. Keeps going, Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. It says, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. There was a prophet that declared this would be what people referred to him as. That was fulfilled right here in this experience. One more, Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. It says, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. You see, this, this sermon series that we're calling Fulfilled, it's not just a catchy title that draws us into Christmas, the Christmas story. It is the Christmas story. Jesus was not just some random individual that was claiming to be the son of God. He wasn't just a a politician, a taxi driver, or a police officer turned Messiah. He was the fulfillment of revelations and promises passed down throughout history. Each and every one of them building a stronger and stronger case for him actually being the son of God, the savior of the world. You see, it's a lot like a fingerprint. We all have fingerprints, and they differ from everybody else's fingerprints. And if you commit a crime and just leave one fingerprint on something at the crime scene, they can look at the ridges and the designs, and they can identify you as the person that was involved just based on your fingerprint. See, I burned off my fingerprints because I was trying to make pancakes this week in these special Christmas shapes. I had a good intention, but my fingerprints are now gone. But see, it's that fingerprint that identifies us 
in a certain way. Listen, the fulfillment of prophecy was like that for Matthew and for the other gospel writers. They've studied these prophecies for centuries. They've looked at all these things that were written about Jesus for centuries, and they've said, I can tell you that this is concrete evidence that Jesus has fulfilled each and every one of these things. You see, those prophecies were used by the gospel writers to verify his identity. Let's talk about those claims so that maybe we can reach that same level of certainty. You see, those claims that we're talking about, there's not just one or two of them. There's over 60 major prophecies in the Old Testament that tell us about Jesus, that were fulfilled in Jesus. And every single one of these things, just like a fingerprint, helps us to identify him as the Messiah. Let's look at just seven of those prophecies. This one, he was born in Bethlehem. Micah tells us that. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Two, he would be preceded by a forerunner. Someone would come before him that would prepare the way for him. Number three, he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Number four, he would be betrayed by a friend which would result in his hands being wounded. Number five, he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver which would be given to a potter. That's an incredibly specific prophecy that was fulfilled through Jesus. Number six, he will stand silent before his oppressors. And number seven, he will die by crucifixion. Let me tell you something. This last one is the most remarkable prophecy to me because it was written over a thousand years before Jesus came to be. And in and, and Psalm chapter 22, where David prophesied that the Messiah would come and he would die by having his hands and his feet pierced. That prophecy written a thousand years before Jesus um, that, that crucifixion method had not even been invented yet. At that time, Jewish people carried out the death penalty by stoning people. Even the Romans, they hadn't even adopted this as a principle. They haven't introduced this yet. This is like us predicting that a thousand years from now, there's a specific individual who would die from a substance that's not even been invented yet. This is a major prophecy that convinces us of who Jesus is. Well, Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, he calculated the mathematical probability of all seven of these prophecies being fulfilled in one individual. He said, okay, this one would create this type of probability, and this one would create another level of probability. He combines them all together, and he reaches the conclusion that for all of these things to be fulfilled in one man, the probability would be one in 100 quadrillion. That's one with 17 zeros, one in 100 quadrillion. To put that in perspective, he says it would be like if you took a silver dollar and he said you, you put a red check mark on that silver dollar and then you found enough silver dollars that you could, you could fill all of Texas with silver dollars, two feet high, the entire landmass of Texas. And then you took that one silver dollar that you put a red check on, you throw it in the middle somewhere, you send somebody in blindfolded and you say, go pick out the one that has a red check mark on it. It'd be next to impossible, right? That would be absolutely crazy that they would come up with that. But he says, that's the same probability of Jesus fulfilling even just these seven prophecies. But remember, there's not just seven prophecies. In addition to that, there's another 50 plus major prophecies about Jesus' life. And there are dozens of other references to him throughout the Old Testament. Each and every one reduces the infinitely small possibility that he could fulfill them without being the savior of the world. Is anybody else completely overwhelmed by this? I mean, these statistics are fascinating. When I was a teenager, 
I was born into a Christian home and I reached a point where I said, what are the odds that I could actually be born into the right religion? I, I thought that was ignorant of me to believe that. And so I, I began to walk away from my faith. I, I just said, I don't know that I can have any kind of certainty, any kind of confidence that Jesus is who I've come to believe he is. And, and so I walked away and for over a year, I wrestled back and forth, talking to people and, and studying the facts and trying to find my way back to God. And ultimately it was facts like this. It was research that showed me the evidence that, that highlighted the prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus that ultimately brought me back to a place where I was able to put my faith and my confidence in Jesus. Which leads us to this. This is our sermon in a sentence today. Our confidence is shaped by fulfilled prophecy. Our confidence is fulfilled by what we learn about the prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled it's like a snowball being formed in our hands, figuratively, because we're from Milledgeville, so we've never actually touched snow. But, but it's like shaping and molding that snowball in our hands. Our confidence is shaped and molded by the fulfillment of each and every one of these prophecies. Let's talk about a few of the ways that our confidence is shaped by the fulfilled prophecies of Jesus. The first one is this. We have confidence in our faith. We have confidence in our faith. Faith is is that part of us that hopes and, and believes and trusts that Jesus really is who he says he is. And a lot of times, the Bible tells us that we're saved by that faith, but a lot of times we feel like in order to have faith in Jesus, we have to put aside reason and thought, but nothing could be farther from the truth. See, when we look at the evidence through fulfilled prophecy, we gain more and more certainty that Jesus Christ is worthy of our faith and our trust. You see, what was said about Jesus then gives us faith in Jesus now. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist, and he was that forerunner to Jesus that we talked about a minute ago, but He's made some bold proclamations about who Jesus is, but at this point in his life, he's in prison and he's waiting to die. And all of a sudden, his faith begins to waver. He begins to wrestle with some things. And so he sends word to Jesus and he says, Jesus, are you really the one we've been waiting for? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that the Old Testament teaches us about? And Jesus responds by telling him simply, look at the evidence. He says, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I've done. I'm the fulfillment of every single prophecy. And Jesus says, I want you to use that biblical prophecy to strengthen your faith. There is no coincidence that so many things are lining up perfectly so that he could fulfill what was said about him previously. In my house, we're getting close to Christmas and I've, I've noticed this strange coincidence that this magazine keeps being placed right by the chair that I sit in, and it's opened up to all the Apple products, um, the AirPods and the watches and all those kinds of things. It's weird how it happens. And the first time it happened, I folded it up and I threw it to the side and just thought it was an accident. The second time it happened, I started to question things a little bit. And by the third time, I realized somebody is trying to tell me something, right? They want me to know what they want for Christmas. This is not a coincidence because it just keeps happening over and over and over again. Let me tell you something, that's the Christmas story through the lens of prophecy. One prophecy wouldn't be that big of a deal. Two prophecies fulfilled doesn't mean that much. Three might be getting into the realm of this is pretty crazy, but when you get all the way up to 60 plus prophecies, you have to admit that somebody is at work and that these predictions about the Savior of the world declare definitively that Jesus is 
is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, anything else we choose to put our faith in is an imposter. And it deserves to be tackled in the mall by Will Ferrell wearing an elf costume. All right, here's the second place that our confidence grows because of the prophecies of Jesus. We have confidence in God's word. Confidence in God's word. We have confidence in the Bible. You see, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus opened the, said that his goal was to open the minds of his followers so that they could understand Scripture. In other words, he is the glue that binds the Old Testament and the New Testament together. The Bible was written by approximately 40 different people from diverse backgrounds and different environments and upbringings. It's written over a period of 1,500 years, but because of Jesus... In the fulfillment of these prophecies, we see one consistent story all the way through. Think about your favorite TV show. I guarantee you in that TV show, there are some inconsistencies. The longer it goes on, the more obvious they become. If you like Friends, you'd be happy to know that Ross's birthday changes throughout the show. The actress who plays Pam's mom changes in the office. Throwback to Family Matters, you remember Judy? We still don't know what happened to Judy. She just disappeared from the family and disappeared from the show. It was an inconsistency. One of my favorite shows, Boy Meets World, the door in the school hallway changes from the janitor's closet to Mr. Feeney's office to the men's bathroom, depending on what's convenient for that episode. You see, inconsistencies are an unfortunate reality in storytelling, which is why it is so fascinating to see that one story written over the span of 1,500 years by 40 different people, carries with it one cohesive story about a Messiah that would come and a Messiah that did come. And it's because we verified the Bible's validity by that truth, we can have confidence in everything else that it says to us. You see, when we open the pages of the Bible and it says that God will be with us, we can have confidence in that because we verified it through Jesus. When we open the Bible and we see that it says that peace is available for us in all circumstances, we can have confidence in that because we've verified it through Jesus. When we open the Bible and it says that we can receive forgiveness through unconditional love from the creator of the universe, we can have confidence in that because we've verified it through Jesus. See, God's word is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path because Jesus has given us confidence in what it says. Here's a third way that our confidence is completely developed by the fulfillment of prophecies by Jesus. We have confidence in the future. We have confidence in the future. You see, seeing what God has done in the past gives us confidence in what he will do next. You see, God was involved from the beginning of human history to, to create these prophecies and fulfill them through Jesus. He orchestrated incredible things to make sure we had a test that would prove once and for all that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And it's because he was able, capable of moving in those ways that we can have confidence that he's going to move in our lives as well. Listen, when I talked to the Core Foundation a few weeks ago, I told him I was going to introduce this to you guys uh, as we approach December as a special offering. I said, but I can tell you without any doubt that we're going to raise somewhere between ten dollars and $50,000, maybe even more. I said, because we're going to make a bold request and we're going to bless the socks off of the people in Haiti through you. And I, I told them that not because I was just hoping for that much money. 
It's because year after year after year, I have seen Northridge Christian Church step up and blow us away with the amount of money they donate to a special project like this. Over and over and over again, we've been able to make donations that have helped accomplish amazing things right here in Milledgeville and all the way to the ends of the earth. And I believe because I've seen God move in that way before, I have confidence that he's going to move in that way again. Listen, the same thing is true when we look at the prophecies of Jesus. When we see all that it took to get him to that place of fulfilling those prophecies, it gives us confidence to say, whatever it is I'm facing in this life, whatever it is I'm struggling with, whatever is fighting to beat me up and attack my faith or attack my health or attack my future, all of those things pale in comparison to the strength of a God who could fulfill prophecy through Jesus Christ. You see, we've seen what he can do. Now we have confidence in what he's going to do next. Listen, our confidence is shaped by fulfilled prophecy. Here's what I'm hoping for you this year. See, as we approach the Christmas season, as we get ready for one big day of celebration, I know that we all chase that Christmas feeling of, of joy and excitement and passion. We watch Hallmark movies so that we can get that feeling, right? Not me personally. <laughs> um, but we all chase that feeling, right? We love that feel-good Christmas moment. But here's what I want. I, I want us to also spend some time just looking at the facts, studying the person of Jesus, studying all that he's done so that we can have a joy that doesn't fade when December 25th is over, but we can have a joy and a passion that fills us up for the rest of the year, changes the way we live, and changes the way we have confidence in God and Jesus and in our faith. And that's what I'm gonna pray for right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that over the next few weeks, God, we're not just filled with a feeling of, of happiness, but God, that we're filled with the spirit of joy as we recognize that, that Jesus really is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And God, I pray that that fact gives us confidence in so many other areas of our life so that we can trust you more than we've ever trusted you before. God, I pray that you fill us up this Christmas season with a joy that lasts for eternity because we're experiencing your love in a real, powerful, tangible way. God, I pray that even in these next few moments, God, I pray that you strengthen our confidence so that we can go out of this place and live our lives for you because we've seen all that you're able to do through Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at